Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And sorry, no Cousin Shane on this episode. No, he's not on his 12th vacation of the year. He actually, He's caught up working. So unfortunately, Cousin Shane, he will not be on this one. He'll be on the next one. But, so it's not just me sitting here spieling. I reached out to our good friend Ty Richardson, ESPN Arkansas. Hit that line. He's going to talk some Razorback football following the conclusion of spring practice there in Fayetteville. We'll get to that in a little bit. Got some fun stuff to talk about. We're going to play our first call-in question. Remember, we got a new call-in line. We've got uh, a number of calls already, some voicemails, some questions. Hit us up on that line at 615-965-5152. That's in the show notes. Again, if you want to leave us a question, comment. And the only reason I didn't wait for Shane on this one I showed him the question. He said, by God, this this is out of my realm. So this is a Mike question, according to Cousin Shane. Again, we'll get to that in just a second. But some pretty interesting comments here from Nick Saban on the next round live out of uh, Birmingham. Great show. These guys do a terrific job, and credit to them. They got Nick Saban in person, and it's pretty interesting. Short comment, but... Keep your ears perked to what Nick Saban has to say here. Like something you will use in a lesson to your team at some point, uh, some point building a program and people trying to take it away from you. Yeah, well, that's been the case for a while now. And <laughs> last couple stop. of years, they, somebody's been successful. So <laughs> we need to try to take it back. Like- we all know who he's talking about. He's talking about Kirby Smart and them Georgia Bulldogs needing to take it back from them. But he didn't mention Kirby. He didn't mention Georgia. But I just find it fascinating. All these people that get up in arms when I say Nick Saban is not the best coach in the country at this point in time. That's a popular offseason discussion. But when at any other time in Nick Saban's great dynasty, he's the greatest of all time, but when has he ever had comments like this suggesting that they're not the top dogs in the SEC or college football I don't know exactly how he was phrased that question, but it's interesting. There is a gap, no doubt. And Georgia's at the top. Now Nick Saban's looking up at Kirby, as crazy as that is to say. But maybe that'll be all the fuel they need down there, that rat poison. Because last season, when we thought it was going to be the revenge season, it was just back-to-back dogs on top. So interesting stuff there from Saban. Giving us some off-season fuel for that rivalry. Not even a rivalry. They don't even play each other that often. But hopefully, uh, for those each of those fans' sakes, if they have the seasons they want, they'll be meeting in Atlanta, if not the college football playoff. How about this stat? I, I'm working this up, and I swear I don't, <laughs> I don't have an agenda when I do these. I'm sure some people think I do, but... Uh, just, you know, as you've seen on our screen here, if you're watching on YouTube, I've been putting out more graphics, I'm trying to make the show more interactive and doing more and more quarterback graphics. So I had to do the stats for all these. And yards per pass attempt. That is a critical stat that lets you know, obviously, explosive pass rate, pushing the ball down the field. 
who's having success, who is not. And wouldn't you know it, again, this is a list of just quarterbacks projected to start in the SEC next season, how they did last season. Who tops the list? It's not KJ. It's not Will Rogers. It's not Spencer Rattler. It's not Jaden Daniels. It's not Connor Wigman. It's not all these quarterbacks many around the SEC are touting as the best. It's Joe Milton. And it's not even close. Joe Milton, 11.8 yards per pass attempt. Not completion, attempt. Nearly 12 yards in attempt. And again, this is not exactly apples-to-apples comparison because he only threw 82 passes. So it was limited reps here for Joe Milton last season. But significantly higher number than at any point in his career. His completion percentage... Much higher last season. Ten touchdowns, zero interceptions. These are not numbers to just outright dismiss, even though particularly South Carolina fans I've seen on Twitter, they have been dismissing it all day. I don't know what it is. I post about South Carolina, Tennessee fans get up in arms. I post about Tennessee, South Carolina fans get up in arms. This is quickly turning into a a heated little rivalry here. K.J. Jefferson Second on this list, 8.83 yards per pass attempt last season for the Arkansas Razorbacks. For people that say K.J. can't throw the ball, well, he's doing it as well as anybody in the SEC that's returning. Big reason why I think K.J., who is just elite with his legs, also this proves excellent with his arm, 8.83 yards per pass attempt. Jackson Dart, this one surprised me, 8.22 yards per pass attempt. He's third on this list. Spencer Rattler, 7.5 yards per pass attempt. This is actually the lowest of his college career, aside from his debut season, which um, he only threw seven passes as a true freshman. Not his breakout season, but his true freshman season at Oklahoma. So his numbers went down, but maybe that's to be expected given the uh, Marcus Satterfield effect down there in Columbia. Jaden Daniels, 7.5 yards per pass attempt. Brady Cook, 7.1. Graham Mertz, 6.99 yards per pass attempt. Connor Wigman, 6.7. Devin Leary, 6.5. Will Rogers, all the way down, 6.5. That's why uh, our buddy SEC StatCat calls Will Rogers check down Charlie. A lot of short passes. Robbie Ashford, 6.4. Same as A.J. Swan, 6.4 yards per pass attempt. But just something to get the little conversation going. Maybe maybe these Tennessee homers are right when they say Joe Milton is about to be unleashed on college football. I'm not buying that talk just yet. But again, very impressive number in a key statistic. Just throwing it out there. But like I was saying earlier, anytime I got I talk good about Tennessee, I'm going to try to talk good about South Carolina so we don't get half the people upset in the mentions here. How about the South Carolina Gamecocks on the recruiting show? They are killing it. And on Wednesday, I know we don't talk a ton of recruiting, but uh, offseason, perfect time to mention that the Gamecocks, if you have not been paying attention right now, 
have the number six recruiting class in the country, number three in the SEC. And this comes after landing two four-stars, defensive backs Braden Lee, the number 18 corner in the country, and Kelvin Hunter, the number 16 safety in the country, as well as three-star offensive lineman Mike Williams. And I know I can already hear the rest of the SEC saying, well, hell, it's a long way to signing day. That's true. But the simple matter is most of these guys, once they commit, they stay committed. There's always outliers. But I think the number I've seen is around 80, 85%. Guys that commit, they stay committed. They sign with the school. And I should note that's with coaches staying on. So if Shane Beamer gets fired, I mean, why in the hell would that happen? It's not going to happen, barring some scandal or him taking another job. So, I mean, South Carolina, and again, I don't think that's happening either. I got to put a caveat in everything I say now. But South Carolina's recruiting game busters here. And it's not just those guys. They've got 10 commitments right now. Eight of the 10 are four-star prospects. So this is one hell of a class they're putting together in Columbia. This is what you need to happen to take that next step up the SEC ladder and be a true threat, particularly with uh, Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. It's just getting harder. and You have got to put everything into recruiting. Shane Beamer understands that. There are no guarantees in college football, but recruiting is the biggest aspect to having a winning football program. And Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks well on their way to doing just that. All right, so let's get to our call-in question. First time we're doing it, and we had to go with our man, one of our maybe our first fan here, cousin Ollie, called in to talk trash about Mitch Barnhart, the AD down there at Kentucky. Uh, again, that call in line, 615-965-5152. Again, I'll throw it up on the screen, and that's in the show notes as well. Let's kick it over to Cousin Ollie, who wants us to rank the SEC 80s. Good morning, guys. This is Cousin Ollie up here in Lexington, Kentucky. And I was calling this morning to ask if you guys could rank the 14 athletic directors in the SEC. Uh, we do a lot of ranking of the coaches, but, uh, when the, you know, it hits the fan, I should say, uh, the athletic directors are some of the first to get fired. And so I want to know, a lot goes into the job, obviously fundraising, dealing with coaches, hiring, firing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, NIL now, everything. Who is the best? Who is the worst? And when you rank the worst, why is it Mitch Barnhart in Kentucky? So I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you. Cousin Ollie. See you guys. You can tell Cousin Ollie's a listener of this show because in his question, he found a way to troll. <laughs> That's the surest sign that you are a listener to this show. So thank you, Cousin Ollie. Really appreciate the question. And again, Shane, I asked him this and he's like, Mike, I cannot, I couldn't name the AD. <laughs> so, so I'm tackling this one. We've got more questions coming. Wait for Cousin Shane to return to start tackling those. But I tried to do this in tiers because I don't know power ranking ADs and all that. I don't even know if I'm qualified to do that, honestly, because like Cousin Ollie said, I mean, there's there's fundraising, there's facility upgrades, there's NIL, there's many moving parts here, but I'm kind of looking at hires. I think that that's obviously critical and just overall success these ADs have had. And again, I'm putting them in tiers. I got a top four tier 
could kind of put these guys in any order, but I, I did rank these four. And my list starts with Scott Woodward down at LSU. I think he is the top AD in the SEC. Hired Chris Peterson at Washington. That was a coup. You got to remember Chris Peterson was at Boise, turned them into a machine. Guy was turning down uh, Southern Cal. So other jobs, Oregon, I think. Many big-time programs tried to get Chris Peterson to leave Boise, and he just wouldn't do it for years and years. He goes to Washington. The, that's the last Pac-12 school to make the college football playoff. He was wildly successful, and they've not touched that, essentially, since Scott Woodward left to become Texas A&M's AD, where he hired Jimbo Fisher and Buzz Williams, who Buzz Williams is doing a hell of a job for the basketball program. And I realized Jimbo Fisher, not the greatest coach if you're doing these rankings right now, but at the time, that was a coup. I believe Jimbo was the first coach since Johnny Majors in late 70s, early 80s to leave somewhere where he won a national championship at a Power 5 level to go to another Power 5 school. Getting Jimbo was a coup at the time. He's, he did well, and honestly, it's it's kind of been downhill since Scott Woodward left, so I don't know what that's what that says about A&M's program, but Scott Woodward did improve the football and the basketball, and then, of course, at LSU, he's hired Brian Kelly. We all know the success they've had, and Kim Mulkey, who just won her national championship in the second season as a women's basketball coach I think the baseball team is apparently killing it as well so Scott Woodward number one on my list this guy goes uh, for A-list coaches and he gets them unlike any other so Scott Woodward number one on my list Hunter Juracek number two I think he's doing a hell of a job for Arkansas Arkansas is excelling across the board he hired Sam Pittman he hired Eric Musselman and even before that he was at Houston he hired Tom Herman I realize his reputation has taken a hit, but this was at Houston when I believe they went undefeated with Tom Herman as a coach. So he nailed that one. He hired Kevin Sam, uh, Kelvin Sampson, who's taken them to a Final Four. Really good hires. Again, ba- basketball's thriving, baseball's thriving, football thriving, all under Hunter Juracek. And Auburn tried to hire him not that long ago. <laughs> to give you an indication of what a good job Hunter Juracek has done. And I've heard rumors if one of these, this guy's way down my list. If he gets fired, their top candidate allegedly would be Hunter Juracek. So I'll get to that. I'll save that for the end here. Danny White, I got him in my number three, Tennessee AD. He's done a hell of a job at Tennessee being a a leader of that university. Tennessee leadership's been a train wreck for the better part of two decades. Insert Danny White, and things have been very stable. And it's not just his time at Tennessee. He's the one that discovered Nate Oates up at Buffalo. He hired Bobby Hurley at Buffalo, who's now the Arizona State's coach. They're apparently really good. He hired Lance Leopold from some Division II school at Buffalo. He's now Kansas coach, who's turning that thing around. He hired Scott Frost at Central Florida. And again, I realize... Some of the lusters off Scott Frost, but when he was at Central Florida, he went undefeated. So, I mean, th- this guy is making big-time hires, and, of course, he hired Josh Heupel, first AD to do that, to be Central Florida's coach and obviously Tennessee's coach 
as well. And he was also behind all those shenanigans with the uh, UCF national champions that did parades and on and on and on. We mocked it at the time. It is a joke, but that bought Central Florida more publicity than anything in their program history. So he knows how to capitalize on these momentums. He's great with fundraisers. Tennessee's got an elite NIL that Danny White is doing everything in his power to help because he understands the importance of it. Give me Danny White as a, one of the top ADs in the SEC. And then last in this top tier, I got Greg Byrne from Alabama. Main thing he's done, he's kept Nick Saban happy down there at Alabama. I think uh, not that Nick Saban's difficult to work with. I think as long as you leave him alone and let him do whatever the hell he wants, he's happy. Greg Byrne has done that. He's added Nate Oates, who's been a revelation for a downtrodden basketball program to make them one of the best in the SEC. He hired John Cohen, Greg Byrne did, as a baseball coach at Mississippi State. He hired Dan Mullen as a football coach at Mississippi State. I think he's the best head coach in Mississippi State history. He even hired Rich Rodriguez at Arizona, and things did not go in there. There was a scandal, but uh, Arizona's just (laughs) – they're like – Walking in the wilderness out there. They don't know what the hell they're doing in sports. The only time I remember them being relevant in recent history was when Rich Rod was their coach. So next tier down. Again, I'm not really ranking from here on out. I'm more putting these guys in tiers. And I'm putting all these guys, Mitch Barnhart. Uh, There's major issues with Mitch. Mainly NIL. He needs to get on board with that or get the hell out of here. And alcohol sales. He won't let the fans have alcohol, but he'll let the high rollers have alcohol. And everybody in the damn parking lots and tailgating is, is on alcohol. And they're sneaking in. I mean, it's, it's just illogical. You need to get with the times, Mitch. That would be my advice to you. But he's made some questionable hires. Rich Brooks, Joker Phillips, Billy Gillespie. I mean, I mean, these are awful, awful hires. But he's also hired Mark Stoops and John Calipari. And he's been the longer Longest tenured AD in SEC currently, and a number of these guys, including Greg Byrne, have worked for him. John Cohen, obviously, and another guy on this list, Scott Strickland. He's got ties all over the SEC. I think you cannot underrate the longevity and track record and just connections in the sport, and that's kind of where Mitch thrives. I'd also put John Cohen in this category because he's had – He's had some issues. He hired a scandalous baseball coach, but then he turned around and hired a baseball coach that won him a national championship. So that's kind of a wash. He hired Joe Moorhead. Oh, that was rough. But then he hired Mike Leach, which was great. So again, kind of a little bit of a wash here. You still can't convince me that he was not pushed into hiring Hugh Freeze, given his track record at Mississippi State. I don't think he wanted any part of Hugh Freeze, but... I don't know. That's just me speculating. He also hired Ben Howland and some guy named Rick Ray in basketball. So his basketball hires have not been elite other. Again, you see why he's kind of in the tier down, but he is tenured. He was at Mississippi State forever. Now he's Auburn's AD. And I kind of put Ray Tanner at South Carolina. Uh, these three guys, I, I, I'm also putting them in a tier because it seems like at times the fan bases want them fired. Other times he's Fan bases want these guys praised. And I think Ray Tanner fits in that mold. He hired Will Muschamp. But he also hired Shane Beamer. He hired Frank Martin. He also hired Don Staley. So, yeah, I don't know if Ray Tanner, if he's the best AD or not, but he's 
seems like he's making Shane Beamer happy right now. Just gave him a big raise. We need to up our recruiting budget. Again, we're killing it on the recruiting trail. Give Shane Beamer what he needs. That would be my message to Ray Tanner. Now, this next tier, these are ADs that are relatively new. Mixed results, have had some success, have had some failures. Candace Story Lee at Vanderbilt. I think she's doing a good job hiring Clark Lee, hiring Jerry Stackhouse. So far, in my mind, those look like good hires. They've improved those programs. And the biggest thing Candace Lee has done, she's getting the ball moving on facilities. And that may sound like a a no-brainer at Vanderbilt, but they've been trying to do it for decades. And for whatever reason, it's just they've not been able to get that ball rolling. Well, they've gotten it rolling under Candace Lee. So she gets big-time marks in my mind for that. Now, also in this category, I got Desiree Reed-Francois, Missouri's AD. I don't understand giving Eli Drinkwitz an extension in the middle of last season, a disappointing season. That made no sense. And if things go sideways, that's going to look weird next year too. Now, if Missouri has a big winning season, maybe that's a stroke of genius. I don't know. But that is, to me, a negative. But she also hired Dennis Gates basketball He's one of the best coaches in the SEC in his debut season. So that's a positive. So, again, some mixed results. I think overall, if I'm a Missouri fan, I'm pretty fired up about her. Keith Carter, I'm also putting in this mix relatively new. Hired Lane Kiffin. But he also kind of got strong-armed by Lane Kiffin uh, at the end of last season. And now Kiffin's one of the highest-paid coaches with, uh, you know, I think he's a good coach. But you could certainly see the flaws in his resume and his track record. Take away some Vanderbilt wins and, and some others. He's, he doesn't really have a marquee. I don't think he's beaten a, a, an SEC team with a winning record. I could be wrong about that. But, you know, again, I love Lane. I'm not going to sit here and bash him. He also hired Chris Beard, which uh, could be a could be the best hire ever if, for the basketball program. Could fix their basketball program. If he screws up, I think Keith Carter is going to be fired with him. I mean, I, I think it's that bad, and it could be. So, He's putting his neck on the line for Chris Beard. We'll see how that goes. And then these two, I got these two as, I don't know how much longer these guys got. And, again, this is some speculation on my part. This is not me reporting anything or anything like that. But Ross Bjork at a and I just, I don't know. The guy's always kind of struck me as kind of weird. He, he was the guy that held in there with Hugh Freeze during all the scandal and I mean, he's fighting people on social media. I I know people personally that he's reached out to and kind of complained about their coverage. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just don't know if, if Ross Bjork, how long he's going to stick around. He's the one that gave Jimbo, um, you know, all this $100 million. If, if Jimbo's gone, I think Ross is gone too. And this is the job that I've heard A&M covets Hunter Juracek. So, again, I don't know that to be 100% fact, but people at Arkansas have suggested that to me. So that is something to keep in the back of your mind. If Ross Bjork's gone, Hunter Juracek and that massive oil money, that may come for him. And I also put Scott Strickland in this category. He really needs Billy Napier to have some success because this guy hired Dan Mullen, which, you know, there was some success there, certainly. I, th- I thought that was the right move, but it – Proved disastrous at the end there. And now Florida's dealing with the consequences. If Billy Napier can't get this ball rolling, I think Scott Strickland may be gone too. 
Uh, he hired Todd Golden as the basketball coach. That is yet to, to prove to be a good hire, but not a bad hire. So that's kind of mixed. And there's also been some, I don't go deep in the weeds into women's basketball or anything like that, but apparently there was some scandal, allegations of abuse by the coach, I believe it was. And I think Scott Strickland was made aware of that, didn't do anything. That's my understanding of it. I could be completely wrong. Go ahead and Google that, all that. But uh, Scott Strickland, I, I don't know. I mean, he at one time was seen as a promising AD, one of the best in the SEC when he was at Mississippi State. But uh, currently, I think he's on thin ice down there in Gainesville. And then, so that leaves just two more. And these guys are, are so young on the job, just haven't done en- enough to uh, warrant much of a review. Josh Brooks, the Georgia AD, he did hire Mike White, the basketball coach, but he hired a guy Florida fired. So I, I don't know how to rate that. I mean, that's a, that's, that's like a neutral to me. He's keeping Kirby happy, giving Kirby whatever he wants. That's the right move, obviously. So maybe Josh Brooks, one of the best rising ADs in the sport. And then Zach Selman from Mississippi State. He just got hired with John Cohen jumping ship to Auburn. So nothing to really grade him on either. He's a young guy, but I uh, hear good things. But those two are kind of in their own tier of just kind of so new, so unproven, and relatively no big hires to uh, note there. But again, thanks, Cousin Ollie, for that question. Ranking them SEC 80s, I'm sure no one's going to agree with that list. <laughs> but uh, all right, enough of me here ranking Freaking ADs. You know it's the offseason when we're doing that. Let's kick it over to our conversation with Ty Richardson, ESPN. Hit that line. This is a good one. All right, we're pleased to be joined once again by one of my favorite people in the SEC media landscape. And, of course, I'm talking about Ty Richardson, host of the Morning Rush ESPN Arkansas. Hit that line. Ty, how are you, my friend? Mike, I'm good. Uh, you've got the Mike Leach book in front of you. You got your protein shake. We are ready for this conversation. <laughs> I can't wait to talk some Arkansas football with you and some SEC stuff as well. Yeah, and I can't thank you enough again. You came through the studio. What was that about six weeks ago in Nashville? And um, you know, all off season, Ty, I've been kind of—I don't want to say doubting Arkansas, but I've been a little bit down on them. At least for me, I'm always so high on the Razorbacks, but. I'm back all board, man. After this spring, I'm fired up. I want to know how you're feeling after uh, the conclusion of, of the latest spring with all the, the roster turnover and the new coaches. What's your read? Do you, do you feel better? Do you feel worse? What's your thoughts on on uh, the, the Razorbacks after spring? I think it's hesitant optimism. And locally, the media in any market is always going to have more positive vibes than the national media. That's just typically how it goes before this season, about a week or so before I convinced myself that this Arkansas football team can win 10 games when in reality, it's nowhere near that close. So I, I try and go back and forth and look at what national people say and look at what local people are saying, or a lot of times are a little more in the know than some of the national guys to balance my opinion, but you still have KJ Jefferson and rocket Sanders uh, defense is a concern and an area and really an overall position group that I don't know what they're going to look like. I'm hopeful that some of these transfers and some of these additions will be game ready, which I think some of them are. Uh, but I'm excited. I mean, it's, it's football, man. Just like you and your balls. And, and I'll say this again. I said this last time. Tennessee's beating Georgia at home this year. 
Milton's going to have the game of his life, and they are beating the Bulldogs this year. And that's going to be probably Carson's back. Carson Beck's one and only regular season loss this season. Well, I knew I liked you, Ty. And right there, you <laughs> confirmed it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you gained some fans on Rocky Top for those comments. But let me ask you about K.J. Jefferson going into a, uh, a different system for the first time in his Razorback career. How do you think he's taking to the Dan Eno system? And, uh, you know, it seems like every time Sam Pittman's in front of a podium, he notes this is going to help prepare K.J. better for the NFL. But will that help him this fall, do you think, uh, in Fayetteville? Mike, I think it's important for any player, especially one with the leadership and the experience that KJ has, to still take to coaching, to still feel like he has something to learn. And KJ, from all intents and purposes and what we have picked up and what we've heard, is still very much willing to do that. He knew, while he looked good under Kendall Bryles' offense, that doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL like Dan Eno's offense does. There's still going to be some RPO. There's still going to be some spread things that you see more in college than you will in the National Football League. But if K.J. Jefferson wants any chance to play professional football, and I'm talking the NFL, I'm not talking about the USL, FL, I'm not talking about the XFL, I'm talking about the National Football League, then he's going to have to soak up as much as possible. This is a guy that's been around since 2019. Here's a guy that a lot of people have high expectations for, as do you, as do me. Now, you just got to show on the world that you're deserving those expectations. And he's also got to get some help from his wide receivers and offensive line. I'm not too worried about the running back positions, but the offensive line has to protect KJ Jefferson and also open up running lanes. And then I'll get those wide receivers. You got to get separation, make plays to help out your quarterback because he's got one of the best deep balls in college football. Well, you mentioned the running backs. I'm, I'm glad because I wanted to ask you about that, Ty. And I know Razorback fans, they get mad when I even make this comparison. But I see number five and I see number five. I mean, we all know that's that's Darren McFadden, legendary player. But uh, Rocket Sanders, I mean, by the time his career is done, who knows? He may have comparable stats. So maybe not just those two players, but is this the best running back group, you think, since that Derek McFadden, Peyton Hillis, uh, and they, they had one other uh, running Felix back. Jones. Felix, thank you, thank you. So is this the best running back group you think since that uh, historically great running back room there at Arkansas? You've had some good ones. I think about Jonathan Williams and Alex Collins. That was a tremendous tandem. I think about uh, Ronnie Ring Wingo, Broderick Green, Nile Davis, and Jen Dennis Johnson, which was more of a, a foursome than anything. They've had some quality depth at that position over the years. Arkansas has had some really talented in-state young men like Darren that decided to play football on the Hill. By the way, Darren was in attendance this weekend at the spring game, and one of the things he said is he's going to try and recruit some players to the Hill, to Arkansas. I think that it has the potential. We'll see what the timeline is of Dominique Johnson, who's coming off that second, unfortunately, retorn ACL. You've got Rocket, of course, who's going to be listed as a preseason All-American. Him and Judkins are the first-team All-SEC guys heading into this year and probably at the end of the season. And then you've got A.J. Green and Rashad Dabinion, plus Isaiah Auguste is the outstanding freshman that they're excited about. So that's the one position group at Arkansas, I would say, that you could stack up with virtually any SEC team. Can't necessarily say that about anything else. Now, receivers for second year in a row, kind of a complete unknown. They they got 
incredible production out of their new players last season. They're going to have to do it again. But one of the guys that you hit on on the morning rush on your Monday show right after the spring game, Isaiah Satania, do you think he could be the breakout star uh, for the Razorbacks this season? I sure hope so, Mike. Isaiah is a Fayetteville kid. He's got some lightning quick speed. And ball skills is something you don't necessarily say for a young man that's under six feet, but he has them and he has the ability to high point, even as a smaller guy, go up and get it. I love watching this kid play two touchdowns in the spring game. Also had a, a, a touchdown saving tackle when Ladarius Bishop got an interception and Arkansas really hasn't had. And I want to be very careful in how I say this. Traylon Burks was an all American and all sec caliber wide receiver. Make no mistake about that. But I wouldn't necessarily call Traylon the jitterbug, the guy that's going to make two or three people miss and say gone. Traylon was going to break a tackle. He was going to shove you down, or he was just going to out-physical you. Isaiah is a little different. He's more in the Joe Adams realm, which Joe Adams, we know. Don't say that name to me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 2011 (laughs) uh, Fayetteville, trust me, I know. That's a a game that lives in infamy for you and and lives in uh, hysterical territory for me, but I hope Isaiah busts out. He's got all the potential, and now he just needs to stay healthy because injuries derailed his freshman season last year. Do you think, uh, you know, hearing so much hype about the the guy from, uh, what is it, Hillsdale, Tesla, do you think he yeah. can step up and, and be a big-time contributor for the Razorbacks? He runs about 6'4", and you mentioned Hills, Hillsdale's college. I don't think any of your listeners know where that is. It's up in Michigan, and that's the thing. Like, can it translate? And you could say that about Tyrone Broden, the Bowling Green transfer. You could say that about Armstrong, the Texas A&M Commerce transfer, plus some other guys that they've added to this roster. If you're going to come in from a smaller school, you've got to have that chip on your shoulder. You've got to be able to prove to not just your staff, but the teammates as well, hey, I belong here. I deserve a scholarship just as much, if not more, than you do. And that's what some of these guys do. They come over, and they have an instant chip. And I hope he does, because that would be an awesome element to add to the wide receiver group, which, again, you look at last season, I think they lost five of their top six pass catchers. So that is a an area that has to get shored up, not just the end at the end of the season. They got to figure that out by games one or two, or it could be a, an uneventful, unpositive year for a negative year for this Arkansas Razorback football team. Well, another guy, it sounds like, is going to break out for the Razorbacks tie on the defensive side of the ball, Landon Jackson. The uh, LSU transfer looked incredible in the spring game, and that that was essentially the reports all spring camp. Uh, How good of a player do you think he can be in this defense? I didn't know this until uh, Connor O'Gara had that Arkansas has not had a double-digit sack guy since 2011, Jay Beckett. It's been that long. Mike, since they've had someone with double digits. And I don't know if Landon's going to be that guy. I hope so. Uh, 6'7", Pleasant Grove High School down there in Texarkana. And as you said, has really stood out, not just in the spring game, but all of spring ball. He has the, coming off that ACL injury last year, I don't think he was fully healthy. And now to have a full season under him, I think this could be a huge breakout year. He's talked about some different four-man fronts they'd utilize with him inside, which I saw a little bit in the spring game as well. I love watching that kid play. He looks like an SEC defensive lineman, and I hope he blows up this year for, if not double-digit sacks, somewhere close to that point. Well, not only Landon Jackson, uh, but also we've heard good things about Trajan Jeffcoat, the the Mizzou transfer, John Morgan, the Pitt transfer. 
does that fire you up or do you sit here and say, Oh God, is our offensive line bad? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's always the, the age old question in spring, yeah. which, which way do you lean on that? And it's a fair question. I, I think, you know, as well as I do, coaches rarely speak continuously negative things about their football team in the spring. They want to spread the positive. They want to spread the wealth, the love. And so I got to take that into account when you hear Sam Pittman or any position coach talking about their said player. The offensive line is not the same as it's been the last couple of years. I mean, you think about a stalwart in Ricky Stromberg an All-SEC, and All-American that's no longer on the football team. They've shifted some things around. Luckily, that's Sam Pittman's MO. That's his background. I don't think many people are too worried about that position group. But defensively, you get the most sacks you've ever gotten last year, Mike. But you also gave out gave up the most passing yards in college football as an FBS program. So it was feast or famine. This team this year has to figure out to get pressure with four because if you can do that, even if you have just an okay secondary, it kind of disguises it and miffs it a little bit. So in this case, I hope that these defense alignment that you just referred to and the other guys really, really come around as we get closer to 2023 and this season. Well, I'm glad you referenced the uh, the past defense because that's where I wanted to go next, Ty. And, you know, I think there's real value. People say there's no value in the spring games, but I'll tell you, what I have picked up over the years, you listen to the announcers. And I know, you know, rarely are they, you know, uh, homegrown people that know the roster in depth. Mm -hmm. But what they do, they have meetings with the coaches and they share some of the tidbits. And one of the tidbits they shared uh, on the broadcast, I know you were at the game, you may have missed this, but they said this, this these coaches are going to play more man-to-man in the secondary. After, hey, Barry Odom, I, I loved him as a defensive coordinator. I think – we got to credit him for some of the big wins of the Sam Pittman era. But clearly, sitting back, it didn't work last year. Obviously, like you said, they were they were got off on the pass defense. So we're switching to more man coverage. My question to you, though, I know they have Dwight McGluther, and he's amazing, one of the best corners in the SEC. They're bringing in Singletary from Georgia. Hopefully he can fit into that rotation. But do you think Arkansas has got the secondary players to, to play man-to-man and have success in the SEC? Corners, I think that is a realistic question to say yes to. Safeties, I think you're a little more apprehensive about that. And that's one of the hardest positions in all of college football going up against SEC wide receivers because when you do have to go man or you're in the slot or you're having to plug a hole against a running back like Judkins or Sanders or one of the other outstanding guys in this league, it's difficult. And for this Arkansas football team, particularly on defense, I think that's an area they really have to hit in the portal in these next couple of days. Uh, tight end's been another one that I think people have talked about in some other areas. But, yeah, safety is is probably the maybe one of the biggest question marks on the team. Uh, Hudson Clark's been there a while, and I like Hudson Clark a lot. Um, but he he's not necessarily your like, – has the – the, the size of your prototypical SEC safety. So it's going to be interesting to see who they add and then who ends up starting. And if that guy starts game one, who they end up starting game 12 of the regular season as well. So let me ask you this, Ty. What is the biggest question that you had about this Arkansas football team that you think they answered in spring? That's a great question, Mike. And I think I could take this a variety of ways. I would probably still say I wanted to know what the backup quarterback situation looked like because when KJ went down 
and couldn't play in the Mississippi State game. They got curb stomp. A game I was at, Starkville, getting underrated, but hated the actual game itself. He couldn't throw against Liberty. You could tell. They ended up losing that game. He couldn't play against LSU. All Arkansas had to do was do anything offensively and you win that game. They couldn't do it. Instead, Harold Perkins had himself a field day. So I think it's how close of a gap Criswell can shrink the backup quarterback. Because KJ's the alpha. He's the dude. But can Criswell give Dan Enos, Sam Pittman, and the rest of that offensive staff confidence that if KJ was to go down for any reason, that he will be able to step in and do an adequate job? Because they didn't necessarily have that on campus last year. And I like watching Malik Hornsby at times, but he just he's, he's gun shy and he wouldn't throw the football. And mm-hmm. you can't win in the SEC without a guy that can put put it on the numbers. And Malik wasn't it last year, and Forden just. I don't know if he's a high-level SEC quarterback that can start each and every game at this point. I think, to be quite honest, he would tell you he's not. But hopefully they don't have to get to that point. Now, similar question. What's something that uh, you wanted answered in the spring but you didn't quite get and is still a question heading into uh, fall camp? I think you're still unsure about the offensive line because they got 10 sacks during the course of that game. Now, sacks against K.J. Jefferson, you know – you got to bring this guy to the ground. KJ had several highlight plays last year where he broke not one, not two, not even three, sometimes four tackles in the backfield, in the pocket. He is a load. He looks a little slimmer, looks a little slicker, and that's going to be a problem for defenses this season. So I think it's the offensive line. is the, It gets fully tuned up for this year, losing Ricky Stromberg, losing Luke Jones. They added, the, added Jonathan Braun from Florida. Devin Manuel's the kid from, I believe, Louisiana. It runs about 6'9". Stromberg, or excuse me, not Stromberg, apologies. Uh, Latham and Limmer, Limmer are the guys that he had last year. And some other guys that played a little bit, but you don't know 100% where they fit in. That's what you have to think about this year is the offensive line. And, again, I wasn't – that that question you asked did not get fully answered in the spring game because I still think there's things they have to work on. And Sam Pittman knows that. All right, final question for you, Ty. I really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. True or false, did you eat 16 tacos last night? Yes, true. I had, <laughs> let's see, I had eight asada and eight pastor. I competed against my buddy, Billy, who we've talked about eating the most against each other for quite some time. And truth be told, Billy has about, so I'm a little less than 190. Billy's probably, I don't know, 260. So there is a little bit of a weight differential. I'm having to go up in weight class, but I was still very confident until last night when he whispered over to me, said, I could eat 24 if I wanted to. I might get a slice of pizza on the way home. And I was dying. So I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not doing this again. You win. You're the better man. And that's kind of how it went down last night. It was not a pleasant morning before the morning show, Mike, not at all. All right. Well, brother, I, Hey, I hope to see you uh, at SEC media days here in Nashville coming up. Pretty soon, before you go, can you tell our audience where to find all your work? Mike, really appreciate you always doing this at the end. At Ty Sports Radio on Twitter, uh, Mike mentioned he watched the Morning Rush earlier this week. It's every weekday from 6 to 9 a.m. on ESPN Arkansas and hitthatline.com. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. And, man, I'm not only excited for the the work portion, but you and Shane actually have to come out and drink with us on Wednesday night. That's almost a requirement. I'm, I'm making you and Shane come out because you guys, you guys worked too much last Wednesday when we were in Birmingham. Was it Birmingham? Yeah. Uh, no, you, Atlanta. 
Atlanta, I apologize. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to figure that out. You got to set your schedule right for this go around, especially in your your uh, your current resident town. You got to do it, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Last year, I, I'll be completely honest with you. We, we didn't know we were going to get in. We got in, we were overwhelmed. We were, we, it was, wasn't my first time, but it was the first time as that SEC podcast. So yeah. I didn't know what in the hell I was doing. And, uh, I was just trying to survive as was cousin Shane, but we are game planning. We picked up tips from you among many others. So we'll be there. We'll be out and, uh, we'll drink, but we, we can't drink too much because we got to get up and, and do it all again. Four days in a row. You know what? Yeah, that works for me, man. We'll just do. We'll have one big banger on Wednesday night. Everyone's always hungover and just ready to leave by Thursday. So we'll we'll keep it all within the the confines of Wednesday night. All right, thank you, my friend. You got it, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, just will say thanks again, Ty, for joining the show. Really appreciate him coming through, and I'll be on his show. If you're listening to this early in the morning, I'll be there eight o'clock central on Thursday. So check that out. Uh, But hey, that's all I got on this episode of the show. Like I said, Cousin Shane will be back on the next episode. We've got some really great questions queued up on our hotline. Remember, that number is uh, 615-965-5152. If you got a comment, question, concern, whatever you got, reach out and we will feature it on the show just like we did for Cousin Ollie. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I appreciate you for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.